Hello, and welcome to the Here for Healing podcast with me, your host, Carly Brown. This is a podcast dedicated to the healing journey, using alternative, holistic, and integrative methods to heal from the inside out. I chat with practitioners, patients, and individuals who are blazing their own path to radiant, vibrant health and wellness. I can't thank you enough for being here. Let's get into this week's episode. Today on the Here for Healing podcast, I am chatting with Taylor Dukes, Fort Worth-based functional medicine practitioner and co-founder of Restore and Revive Wellness Center. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thanks for having me, Carly. I'm honored to be here. Of course, of course. I'm so excited because today we are chatting about preconception and pregnancy health, which is relevant to both of us. I mean, we both have little boys. We both have toddlers. Um, I know that you have one on the way and I hope to soon. So, I mean, really, I just wanted to get into, you know, how to prepare the body for pregnancy, things things to do or not to do, what to do once we get pregnant, um, you know, how do we find our, our birth team, all all the questions that I had when I first got pregnant. So Cruz was, Cruz was actually a surprise. So I didn't do all of the, the preconception preparation, but I would like to do this time. So can we just begin there? You know, when, what is the timeline to begin preparing the body for pregnancy? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I would say, you know, even for someone who's young and not married yet, there are choices that you can make every day that will impact your egg quality, your fertility, your nutrient status um, for years down the road. But practically speaking, the reality is, is most people are like, okay, I want a baby in the next three to six months. Um, And it is a motivating time to focus on your health. And so um, there are things that you can do specific for fertility, which we can talk about, you know, as far as like, when to start your prenatals, what foods to optimize, you know, what labs to consider if you have any health conditions, like there's ways that you can be proactive, Mm -hmm. um, about preconception health, but even taking it back to just a lifestyle, like you can make daily choices, like avoiding endocrine disruptors and toxins and, um, avoiding toxins and focusing on gentle detox. There are a lot of things that you can do to optimize your body's health, um, prior to even conception being on your radar. So, okay. So detox, you know, that I'm a huge fan of detoxification. I mean, it's so much of what I talk about, what's been a part of my healing protocol. So would you say that even before that three to six month time where you say like, okay, we are going to, in three to six months, we are going to work on conceiving a baby before that detoxification would be just the part of everyday wellness lifestyle to get the body prepared, whether that's in a year or two or three. Absolutely. I'm like, if anyone could live Carly's lifestyle preconception, <laughs> they'd be doing really well. Um, not that everyone has to do everything, you know, but I will say yes, focusing on detox. And that's one of the things that you can't do pregnant. And so like you alluded to me being pregnant right now, it's such a gift to have a little bit of free time back in my schedule, but I enjoy all the benefits of detox. Um, but that is something that you cannot do pregnant. And I don't personally recommend. And of course, even though I'm a nurse practitioner, everyone needs to check with their providers as I share information. But, um, I personally don't recommend that people detox pregnancy. And so focusing on detox before opening those detox pathways, you know, there's a lot of research of toxins being an umbilical cord blood. And so anything that mom can do, of course, on a daily basis, just supporting liver function, um, avoiding toxins, but more of the aggressive detox, 
I would say three to six months um, prior to conception would be ideal. So things that you already do and share, and I'm sure your audience knows, but infrared saunas, ionic foot detoxes, coffee enemas, ozone, um, castor oil packs, armpit detoxes, you know, you can do a little clay mask um, to detox your armpit. So not that everyone has to do all of those things, but um, you know, detox baths, or even just focusing on your lymphatic system and rebounding, whatever you can do and that you can make time for. And of course, afford um, those would be really ideal three to six months prior to conception. So a little more of aggressive targeted detox. Okay. So we've got some targeted detox going on. What other things? So someone said, uh, within six months, we, we want to start conceiving. Would they start taking a prenatal then, or does prenatal start once there's conception? What kind of, let's look at supplements then. What would supplements look like around that time? Yeah. And so some people have unique bioindividual needs, you know, some people that have thyroid function, they might need a little more selenium, iodine and zinc prior to conception. You know, I'm talking more someone that has like Hashimoto's type stuff. Um, you know, some people, uh, are, they just know that they're anemic based off of heavy periods or history. And so that would be a time to start building up your iron reserves through diet, um, supplementation. But in regards to a prenatal, I always tell people ideal is three to six months. Um, I understand some people have surprises and you got to give yourself grace. And when I say surprise, I mean, they're pregnant and they're like, shoot, I wasn't on a prenatal for, you know, more than three to six months. And that was me raise his hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was not on a prenatal when I found out about cruise, you know, I just, it just happened. And I was like, Oh, I guess I should start this now. <laughs> it just happens. And you do the best that you can. And that's why setting yourself up for preconception, you know, is so important. Um, some people can, that are planners, you know, they'll get on a prenatal. I recommend, uh, at least three months if possible. Um, because that is, you know, it's for an egg to develop. That's kind of what we're looking at. And so, um, you know, to optimize egg quality, you're looking at about 90 days, three months. So that's when I would say to start taking a prenatal, uh, bare minimum. Um, and then of course, like I said, certain people have different targeted things. Now, if someone doesn't have balanced cycles, that's a whole nother thing to talk about because preconception can be on your radar and can be your heart's desire and a family goal. But if you're not ovulating, having regular periods, you know, that's something to start looking into ahead of time instead of being like, well, let's just try in three months and see what happens, you know? So I feel like, Everyone has unique bio-individual needs, but I would say eating a nutrient-dense diet, um, eating real- What does that mean to you? (laughs) I mean, nutrient-dense diet means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When it comes to the conversation of conception, fertility, what does nutrient-dense mean? I was literally going to say, I know we'll probably unpack that because a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions. So to make it simple, like food in its real form, right. And we'll unpack kind of what those things and tangible practical steps would be, um, organic when possible, just talking high level. Um, you know, if you don't have means or access to organic, really look up the EWG, the dirty dozen and try and prioritize, you know, the foods that have the most pesticides and chemicals try to at least buy those organic, because this is a really important time. Um, you know, I, of course I always emphasize to people to eat organic, but if you can't afford it or don't have access, this is, this is a time to really hone in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, as far as nutrients go eating seasonally for diversity. So, um, you know, if you have a CSA or farmer's market option, that's a really great option. Um, 
I would just say, when I say nutrient dense, a lot of fruits and vegetables and it, it, to simplify it, just the most color that you can fit in your diet. And so I like to say eight to 10 servings a day. So that's eating vegetables throughout the day at every meal. Now I realize, you know, you and I live lives on the go. We have kids, we own businesses. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to make healthy choices for snacks. But those are some really tangible um, things that you can do. I do recommend incorporating healthy fats. So um, there are lots of different sources of, you know, EPA and DHA are omega-3 fatty acids, and that's really health, um, important for healthy baby brain development. And so, you know, sources of that is like wild caught salmon, you know, there's tons of plant-based sources of fats that you can do through flax, through chia seeds, walnut, pumpkin seeds, avocados, olives, um, but we need healthy fats to make hormones. And it's really, really important for a baby's brain development. Um, and then as far as protein, you know, that can be really helpful. You know, when I talk about protein, if people do eat meat or, um, you know, fish, things like that, the sourcing is really, really important. So I always emphasize grass fed, wild caught, pasture raised, um, but again, this is a time if you've never cared about that to really hone in on the sourcing and quality of your meat. And of course, there's so many other wonderful options of plant-based protein, like lentils and beans and legumes. Um, so healthy fat, healthy protein, um, you know, things like that, as far as like a nutrient standpoint goes. And one of the biggest things that I say is focus on a healthy diet three to six months prior to conception. Um, because some people, and if you're like me, I'm being honest, I'm very healthy. Like I naturally crave healthy foods. First trimester is hard for me. And so I like to really, as far as craving really healthy foods, you know, and so I would say load up on your nutrient dense foods. So you have a little bit of grace in that first trimester when sometimes you just have to get by, um, you know, and, and really try to boost those nutrients, not only for your health and optimal fertility, um, and egg quality, but also for baby's health and postpartum. So when we look at a nutrient dense diet, what are your sweeteners of choice? Recommendations of choice. That's a great question. And when I have things to avoid, I definitely recommend that people avoid refined sugar and sucralose and diet sodas and things like that. Um, I like maple syrup. I like coconut sugar. I like dates. That's a really great option that has nutrients and fiber. Um, those are some of my go-tos. Yeah. I like, I like all of those too. And so we chatted briefly about prenatal starting them three to six months before. Do you have a brand that you like? Do you like to do, you know, one prenatal or kind of, you know, do your vitamin C, zinc, selenium, iodine, kind of just a, a mismatch of different, not mismatch, mix match. I don't know. Just the, just all the different compilation. Yeah, compilation, maybe <laughs> you'd like to do one prenatal or just several different supplements. How do you recommend to your patients? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say find a good high quality prenatal and then supplement and build on top of that based off of the person's needs. So I would say my deal breaker in a prenatal is I for sure want you to have some sort of omega. And so if your prenatal does not contain omegas, specifically DHA, then you might need to additionally supplement. That's very common for you just to take a prenatal and then have to take an omega on top of that. Um, as far as looking for prenatals, I can share some of my favorites here in a second, but I like 
you know, and I, I have multiple ones that I don't have, that I like, I don't have my own private label or just one that I recommend, but I do have a general guidelines of what to look for. And so something I'm really passionate and that you're passionate about, um, is, you know, the highest quality and form of supplements. And so, you know, a lot of people know that don't know that the FDA, they look at the food and they look at the pharmaceutical drugs, but there's little to no oversight of the supplement industry. Um, which is a little bit scary because you can be getting supplements that you're paying for that are ground up brown rice, Mm. or you can get supplements that are even scarier filled with things like mycotoxins, heavy metals, pesticides, you know, a bunch of fillers. And so anytime I say to look for a vitamin, but especially prenatals, you want to look for, um, a supplement company that's third-party tested and verified. So they hire someone to do the research that says, Hey, not only does it have what it claims to say it has, but it's also free of heavy metals, allergens, pesticides, fillers, things like that. Um, so that's really important to me. Would you see that on the bottle? Like, would it say third-party tested or how do you know? Yeah, that's a great question. Some of the bottles will have something called GMP, which comes from a facility that's good manufacturing practice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the bottles will actually not say that it's third-party tested and verified. You have to look into the brands. Okay. Um, so a lot of, they call them pharmaceutical grade supplements, um, but a lot of them you have to have practitioner license to carry things like that. Um, and so just a couple brands that I like, I really like Seeking Health. They have great capsule options. They are kind of a lot. I think it's like six to eight you take daily. Um, and then they have chewable options, which can be really helpful for people in that first trimester. You know, I'm like, however you can get it down, because if you're not going to take a pill, I don't want you, you know, I'd love for you to do a chewable in the interim. Um, orthomolecular has a really great prenatal. It's three prenatal capsules and one omega. Um, you know, there's some really awesome food-based ones as well that can be really helpful. And it just depends on the person. Um, as far as nutrients in a prenatal, I really like choline. Um, that's a really helpful one that there's a lot of recent research and development about how it can help baby develop. Um, and then a lot of women are deficient in iron. Not everyone's deficient going into pregnancy, but especially during pregnancy, as you know, you've delivered, you did a home delivery, right? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's seen the baby and the aftermath and the placenta, I mean, it is a lot of hard work. And so, you know, our red blood cells, we need iron to, to carry oxygen throughout our body. And so if you're anemic, that's going to be really hard on you. You're going to be super tired. You're going to feel weak. Um, and then you could have a harder postpartum, you know, if you're, you don't have good iron. And so I personally like looking for, um, prenatals with iron, iron, um, you know, there's different forms. Some people, it can be a little bit tougher on their stomach. So you just kind of have to try and see what works for you. And then of course you can always eat iron rich foods if you're anemic or deficient too. And what about the folate versus folic acid in, in supplements? Great question. (laughs) How did I not allude to that? I'm so glad you asked. Um, okay. So a lot of people are hearing about this now, but folic acid is synthetic and our bodies cannot utilize it very well. Um, and so folate is the more bioavailable, you know, you'll hear about methylation, you know, people that have methylation issues, they need that bioactive form because they can't break it down and utilize it. Um, so it's super important. It's basically B9. Um, but yeah, you definitely want the methylated form and folate just because your body can utilize it better. Um, and it's super important to prevent neural tube defects and genetic defects in babies. And 
Um, you know, not a lot of people do well with the synthetic form. So definitely looking for a methylated folate prenatal. And most of the ones that I recommend and set on here, they of course have that because I wouldn't let someone be on synthetic folic acid. That's perfect. I mean, those are really helpful tips in regards to what to actually look for when you're reading a supplement bottle or researching into a specific company. So super helpful. And when you run labs, so you go have some labs run, making sure everything looks good, ready. You know, we were, we were at three months, six months. Now we're at three months. We're three months away from conceiving. We run some labs. What would you be looking for on the labs or what would you even ask for? Like I said, I didn't do this the first time. What would I, what would I ask for to make sure everything is in a good spot? That's a great question. And I appreciate, you know, people that advocate for themselves. And sometimes you have to find the right provider Mm -hmm. that's willing to work with you and order these labs. Um, Ideally, you'd find a provider that would proactively be checking these labs with you. I would say one of the most important tests that you could do preconception would be a nutrient panel. Um, It's actually even helpful if someone is pregnant because you can see, hey, we might need to add a little bit more B6, you know, and a lot of people that are struggling with morning sickness are deficient in B6. Um, so anyway, I digress, but a nutrient panel would be amazing because you can just really target and hone in on someone's, you know, what foods to incorporate and making sure that a prenatal has enough vitamins because that nutrient reserve is going to be good for optimizing fertility, of course, but also for mom's health, baby's health, as well as, you know, postpartum. So it's a nutrient panel. First and foremost, I personally use Genova. Um, they're a great company. It's a really comprehensive nutrient panel. Um, but you know, if you're healthy otherwise, and you know, you don't have a provider that has an account with them, that's okay. I would recommend checking vitamin D levels, um, vitamin D's fun fact. It's actually a hormone that can influence fertility. So making sure that's optimal would be good. Even if you get sunshine, um, you know, and you can incorporate vitamin D in your diet, making sure that's optimal. Um, I would say a lipid panel. Taylor, before you go on from vitamin D, I have found that vitamin D optimal vitamin D levels really vary based on who I'm chatting with and whether they're integrative or more conventionally minded as a functional medicine provider and practitioner, what would you say your optimal vitamin D level is that you look for? That's great. And I would agree with the bioindividuality aspect too. Um, I would say around 60, 70 is ideal when we're talking about immune system, preconception, you know, things like that, but there are also too much vitamin D can be toxic Mm -hmm. and, you know, people sometimes just supplement with certain vitamins and and even zinc can be toxic in high amounts. And so it's always good to work with a provider, monitor your levels, of course, pay attention to your specific goal. Um, But I would say that's around the range that I see people function optimally at. Okay, perfect. And so you were mentioning some other labs then. So vitamin D um, and then a lipid panel is really helpful to see, you know, like what your cholesterol is like, you know, we need the good cholesterol, which is HDL um, to actually produce our hormones. So that can be really helpful. And of course you want to know if you're dealing with too much cholesterol, um, which you would, you know, focus on targeted supplementation or diet for that. Um, And then just regular blood counts like CBC, most doctors or providers or nurse practitioners are willing to order that. And that can kind of show some insight into your, if you're possibly anemic or what your platelets are like. 
Um, and there's another lab called CMP comprehensive metabolic panel, um, that checks your liver, your kidneys, your electrolytes, um, and your blood sugar. And I really want to emphasize blood sugar because, you know, people that have insulin resistance issues or blood sugar imbalances that can affect fertility and even miscarriages. And so getting that real in check prior to conception would be optimal. And honestly, these labs could be drawn during pregnancy too. These are helpful before, if you can be proactive and during, um, uh, iron panel with ferritin is really helpful to check. So many people check iron and I do this all the time and the total iron will look okay. And so most people would say, oh, you're fine, but you also want to check ferritin, which is an iron reserve marker. And so of course, when we're growing a baby in placenta, our blood volume increases by 50% pregnant throughout pregnancy. And so making sure that the iron reserve is good is really important. And if not, you know, really beefing up those, not really eating beef, you can, it's a source of iron, but really incorporating those iron rich foods and making sure that your prenatal has a form of iron. Um, so iron panel with ferritin, and then last but not least would be a full thyroid panel. Um, just because you want to make sure, you know, thyroid mom's thyroid can affect baby's development and it can affect, you know, your ability to conceive. And I've worked with mamas that have recurrent miscarriages because their thyroid function isn't optimal, you know, and they might even be on meds that just might not be at a optimal level. And so, um, I don't say that out of fear. I just encourage people to be proactive so that they can say, Hey, what can I get in check? prior to conception or what do we need to monitor throughout pregnancy? Um, and then again, if you're pregnant, these are great labs to check, mm -hmm. you know, just to make sure that things are targeted. And then I would say two other labs that, you know, not a lot of doctors I do, I'll personally do it for my patients, but I'm willing to check someone's pregnancy hormone HCG and make sure it's doubling appropriately and, and looking okay. And I'll also check progesterone levels to make sure that those are optimal, um, you know, for mom and to kind of prevent miscarriage and not all providers are going to be willing to do that unless the patient has a history, but it's a great way to just be proactive. Well, you've inspired me to actually complete the micronutrient test that you've sent me <laughs> that I have that is sitting on my kitchen counter. So I, I will do that. And then you've, you've mentioned, you know, working with your practitioner and, and, you know, having, having a, a provider several times throughout our chat so far. So of course people can work with you. Um, I know that you have quite a long wait list right now because I've sent some friends to you. Um, but it's always worth, you know, connecting. However, what, where do you recommend that people go? I I've seen you share, um, you know, a source to find functional medicine practitioners or, you know, how does someone find their provider? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's one of the most frequently answered questions. I mean, frequently questions that I get for my practice or, you know, what credentials do you look for or what certifications? And so I really personally don't care if it's an MD, a DO, you know, these are all fancy terms for doctors. I don't care if it's a nurse practitioner, a naturopath, um, you know, I want to look more into someone's credentials certifications. So something like the Institute for Functional Medicine. Okay. IFM can be a really great resource. You know, the other thing too, is like, you can work with a health coach that can help you advocate or a fertility specialist. There's so many different certifications out there. Um, I would look for someone that you feel would feel comfortable with your specific symptoms. So say that you needed thyroid, you'd want to make sure that there was someone that was, you might need someone, not you, Carly, but you know, for a listener, if you had thyroid dysfunction and you were on thyroid meds, 
you would look for a certain certification of a doctor that could not only prescribe thyroid meds and monitor it, but make sure it's optimal throughout, you know, preconception, um, and pregnancy. And so what everyone's going to be looking for is a little bit different. I would say ifm.org is a great resource to look for practitioners in your area. Um, certain states have different telemedicine laws, you know, some naturopaths can work all over the U S and, you know, they can actually draw labs. Most of them can and walk alongside you and, and target your, your nutrition plans. Um, it's, it's so hard. I feel like there's an over demand and under supply of these types of providers, if I'm being honest. And I wish I could say it's just as easy to look for this certification. There are a lot, mm. um, but I would find someone that has experience in something that you really need. Um, and then someone that's going to advocate for you and listen to you. And, you know, if you have a lot of health complications or you have, you know, a lot of underlying things going into pregnancy, I would for sure find a practitioner that can partner with you. I practice functional medicine. That's kind of what I call it, but you can call it integrative holistic. Um, but I would look for someone that can, you know, some people need dialing in on their gut health, targeted detox, you know, things like that. And so look for a provider that has lots of great reviews, experience with the condition or just someone that aligns with you. Um, and yeah, I wish I had more great resources. No, I think that's a really good place to start. I mean, first understanding what you're looking for. There's a website that you mentioned. Um, okay. So let's say that, um, an individual, they've done their detoxification. They've been prepping their body for three to six months. They've done some lab work, gotten on a prenatal and bam, they're pregnant. They take the pregnancy test and they get that, you know, pregnant work, if it's a digital test or, you know, the lines, whatever, whichever, there's lots of different pregnancy tests. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, there's so many feelings associated with that. The, the joy, the nervousness, oh my gosh, life's going to change. I mean, everyone goes into this differently, but it, what, regardless of how you're going in, it's, it's big. Um, and what do you do first? Where do you go? You get a positive pregnancy test. What's next? Great question. And like you said, I appreciate that you said that some people can feel over, overwhelmed um, and scared and nervous. My first yeah. reaction is celebrate. It's a really wonderful thing. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, fall naturally into that fear, which can be really normal because a lot of things are out of our control. And we wonder, is it a healthy baby? Is it actually developing? Um, so as long as you know that there's life and you celebrate, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. um, continue to take your prenatals. Um, consider your birthing team. This is huge. And so while I can't say, Hey, there's this great resource for a certain type of midwife or whatever. Um, I can personally say, you know, you can interview people and if you know, you want a hospital birth, but you want to do alternative interventions or maybe no interventions, you definitely want to consider a midwife. Um, sometimes DOs doctor of osteopathics will be a little more open-minded if you want more of a birth center or home birth, you'll likely be working with a midwife. And so go tour the facility if you want to go to a birthing center or go interview them and kind of see what that experience would be like. And so choose a birthing team that aligns with you and your goals and that, you know, will support you throughout pregnancy. Of course, it may be too soon, but consider a doula, right? Consider if you're going to get chiropractic work done, I love Webster certified chiropractors. They can be really helpful. And that's what I personally use. Um, but those are all kind of decisions that can make themselves in times, but usually around eight to 10 weeks is 
you got to be a little bit patient is when you're going to have your first visit. So you do kind of, as soon as you get that positive pregnancy test, want to be thinking, who am I going to establish care with? And you can always transfer if you have a bad experience or you change your mind. Um, but definitely consider who you want to be a part of your birth team. And it is a team effort to bring a child into this world and it's collaborative. And so finding someone that will support you, um, do the best you can do during first trimester <laughs> to eat healthy. Like I said, some days it's survival. And, and I've personally experienced that. Like, again, I'm super healthy. I practice what I preach, get your nutrients in. Um, but some days you got to get by and just get through the day. And so, um, taking your prenatals with food is really important. So you try not to get nauseous. I like people to take their prenatals at breakfast or lunch, um, cause they can have B vitamins and things like that, that can help with energy. Um, balancing blood sugar. A lot of this is going to come down to nutrition and lifestyle, but balancing blood sugar. So, you know, fasting is not something that I recommend during pregnancy and most pregnant women have a hard time fasting anyway. Now, I'm okay with like an overnight fast, right? That can be really great for our body to restore and our digestion. And so, you know, you have your windows, but most people need to eat first thing in the morning. Otherwise they're running for the bathroom, (laughs) not Mm -hmm. all people. Um, And so even if you're someone that can go longer without eating and, you know, you experience the benefits of fasting and personally love the mental clarity that comes from it, it might be time to shift your mindset of like, okay, I'm growing a human. Um, and they're going to have different needs and, you know, it's like forced, you're already selfless, you know? (laughs) Um, and so balancing blood sugar, which might look like eating every three to four hours, incorporating healthy fats, high quality sources of protein. I like, you know, to say carbs or really just fiber, which is like healthy vegetables that have fiber in them. Um, so that can be really, really helpful, you know, avoiding toxins. So if you're not someone that, is living a non-toxic lifestyle and you're using chemicals on your skin daily and you just can't give up your foundation. Now is the time to do that. Um, optimally before, and then of course, you know, your environment, cleaning up your environment. So just swapping out chemical products, changing your laundry detergent that's on your robes, your kids clothes, your clothes, your towels, your sheets. And so just that one simple swap of not using dryer sheets and toxic laundry detergent can be really helpful for baby's development. Um, So those are some good tangible things that I would do. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. And, you know, I think that that feeling, that, that feeling, that potential feeling of overwhelm of like, oh my gosh, I'm growing another human. There's so much to do, especially if some of the stuff that we're talking about is, is new to people changing one's diet and detoxing and non-toxic lifestyle. I think it's helpful to remember that it takes almost a year. I mean, it takes the better part of a year to grow a human. And so to just start with tiny baby incremental steps, maybe the first thing that you do is just switching out, you know, your, your cleaning products and grab something like a a branch basics instead of whatever, you know, purple, green, strange colored mixture might be under the sink, you know? Um, So switching out cleaning products can be a really easy place to begin. And then just like, I mean, even when you said eight to 10 servings of vegetables a day, like that even sounds like a lot to me. I'm probably sure that I'm doing that, but even just starting with one, you know, one eating it more plants in one meal. And so, um, because I remember how overwhelming it was outside of being pregnant to make these, these switches in the beginning, you know, in the beginning of my health journey. So it takes a while and just start doing one 
thing at a time. And the other thing that I thought of as you were speaking, um, I did do a home birth. We had a home birth in Montana. Uh, Ross, my husband is from Montana. And we said, oh, we always wanted to live there. And so we we kind of just stayed th- throughout the end of my pregnancy and, and birth. We were there for about six or seven months. And I found my home birth midwife via um, uh, word of mouth. So when it comes to home birth midwives, I like, I started Googling and how, how do you choose, you know, how do you choose this person who's going to be part of such an intimate experience? Um, so I would just start asking around whether that's home birth birth center or, or even a doctor in a hospital setting, you know, just start asking around for, for word of mouth. That's that really served me on my journey. I completely agree. And you know, this day and age, digital marketing is everything. So they could have a pretty beautiful website, but if they don't have credible, legitimate testimonials, like that's, I think that's so valuable, you know, and I totally agree. And that's where, even when it came to looking for a functional medicine provider or a midwife, always, always look into testimonials or try to connect with old patients. You know, what was your experience? Like, see if they'd be willing to put you in touch with someone. Um, and I loved what you said about the small choices, because of course I've been in this world for a long time. And most of my patients, when they come to see me, they're doing all the things and they're not making progress. Um, so I'm usually not the first stop of like, what's gluten, you know, Uh what's Boxing. Right. I got here too. I was a patient and I was overwhelmed. And I just want to encourage everyone that's listening is that it's small daily choices that can affect our health, our baby's health long-term. And something I always try to emphasize to patients, it's progress over perfection. So don't worry about it being perfect overnight and having this perfectly non-toxic home. Now, if you can do that before conception, it's great. I, I really, truly recommend, encourage Um, and suggest that, but I realize that's not where everybody's at. And so do the best with what you have, where you're at, because sometimes the stress of doing everything right and perfect is worse for your health than heck the bag of potato chips or the glass of wine, you know? And so that's where, you know, cortisol and stress is toxic for our bodies just as much as, you know, chemicals. And so just like you said, small daily choices, if you're a chart person, you're like, okay, this week, I'm going to conquer this. Um, but slowly, you know, it'll become a lifestyle in a lot of ways. And, you know, there are certain things to avoid seriously pregnant, like sushi and, you know, foods that are really rich in mercury, like tuna. Um, you know, I would definitely encourage people to stay away from those or tread with caution when it's certain seafood to make sure it's quality and, you know, good sourced. And of course, highly processed and refined sugars, soda, you know, a lot of candy with dyes. Those are things that, I guess are kind of obvious, but maybe not to some. And so start with avoiding some of those things, you know, before you worry about incorporating everything in, because just simply avoiding certain things that are bad for our health can positively impact our health. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. So I have, um, two more questions before we wrap up for today. Um, the first one is what are some of your favorite go-to meals right now? Like, so you're in the second, are you in your second trimester now? I'm in the second trimester. Okay. So you crossed over into like, are you feeling good having more energy now? Yes, I definitely am. And I, yeah, I struggled first trimester. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. Um, I slept a lot. Yeah. (laughs) 
I slept a lot. Which like growing a human is no joke and we need to give ourselves grace and, and, you know, understand that, okay, wow, this is not the speed that I'm used to, but it's okay to go to bed at 9, 9 PM. Okay. So Uh, I want to reframe my question then. I'm curious what some of your meals were in your first trimester. Like what were some of the things that got you through? And now that you're kind of into the second trimester feeling better, what are your, some of, some of your go-tos? Great question. Oh my gosh. I feel like I was kind of a fog and maybe I mentally blocked some of it out. (laughs) I was in survival. Um, Okay. I got to think back. So I really liked a lot of carbs during my first trimester. Like I truly feel like for my nausea personally, B6 carbs and peppermint oil were helpful. So I would have like crackers or brown rice cakes on my bedside table before my feet even hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a great way for me. It's not the most nutrient dense food, but whatever, it kept me from throwing up and keeping my breakfast down, you know, and it allowed me to go get my son. And so, um, I really like homemade French fries. Like that was one of my things. And I'd like put some avocado oil, some sea salt. Um, so honestly, lots of carbs is what I loved. And One thing for me in the first trimester and now, because I know, like, I know what I should be eating and I know that I should incorporate these things, but I had a lot of aversions too. I personally didn't want a lot of meat. Um, I didn't do hardly any chicken my first pregnancy and I don't want it this pregnancy, which is so weird, but I also, you know, listen to your body too. So Um, to answer your question about like what I got in during my first trimester. And honestly, now I love smoothies. Um, that's a great way to just pack in a lot of nutrients. And I think maybe too, for me, like I always emphasize listening to our bodies and eating seasonally right now, it just happens to be June. And so I kind of am in that season of lots of berries. I would throw in fresh fat in my smoothies. So like some sort of nut butter, coconut butter, you know, things like that. Flax seeds, a great source of omegas. I usually do an almond milk, or if I have some green juice, I love using that as the base of my smoothies. Um, and that for me personally, and still is a great way to just get a bunch of packed nutrition in, especially if I have to run to work to see patients, or if I'm chasing my little toddler, that's something I've found really helpful this pregnancy that I didn't do a lot. My last pregnancy, um, I definitely have been wanting a lot of olives and avocados. It's interesting to see, like, I really want that healthy fat. Um, something weird that I've been eating is bacon. Like we joke that this little boy is going to love bacon because, (laughs) you know, I like the high quality bacon, but for whatever reason, I've loved bacon. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've eaten a lot of, you know, salads haven't sounded as appetizing. They're starting to sound more appetizing now, but honestly, in my first trimester, I love just a huge salad with tons of things in it. And I didn't really want that at all. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I would say smoothies have been like my secret to getting in a lot of great, really great food. And like I say too, like I, I'm not perfect. I've missed days with my prenatal, to be honest with you. Like I've had days where, you know, I'm not even going to get a walk or some sort of exercise in, which I always recommend besides chasing my toddler. Um, there's days where I've eaten out more than I've cared to, but thankfully Fort Worth, and I know where you are, Austin does have some healthy food options. And so I do like this wild caught salmon dish. I probably have that once a week with vegetables and, um, some Jasmine rice. That's been really, that's been one of my staples when I'm like, on the go, you know, I still try to make healthy choices when I'm on the go, you know, just because I have access to it. Right. I love that. I love all those. I remember for me, mine was watermelon. I, the first trimester I need, and I was, I was pregnant. I think I found out in June. So, you know, it was, it was, 
it was summertime. So I was, I lived on watermelon and sleeping watermelon and sleep. That's, that's kind of what got me through my first trimester. So my, my last question for you is now I have been fully immersed in, let's say the world of holistic health for about the past decade now, since I became a health coach and trained in yoga. And it's just, it's what I live and breathe and what I've dedicated my life to. And so when I got pregnant, the books that I was reading and the circles that I was in, I mean, ultrasounds were a no-go. No, you know, no ultrasounds, no, don't, don't, um, uh, no radiation near the baby whatsoever. Um, however, like I mentioned, it was, Cruz was a surprise. And so at nine months, I'm sorry, nine weeks, we, I chose to do an ultrasound because I wanted to definitely confirm the baby. I needed, I needed to see it. I needed that. And then I decided to do the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. I decided that was something that I wanted. Um, I weighed the pros and cons and it was a decision I made. And those were the only two ultrasounds that I did throughout my pregnancy. Then I know, you know, if you're kind of just working in more of a a conventional model with an OB, they're doing ultrasounds every month. Um, And then I know women who free birth and they never check on the baby and they never do an ultrasound, which is their prerogative as well. I think everyone must birth and carry their child in a way that feels good to them. As a practitioner, however, working with patients, patients come to you with questions. What is your stance on ultrasound and what do you recommend for ultrasounds throughout a pregnancy? That's a great question. And I'm going to tie in something personal to this because I had what I thought I was going to do. And then I had kind of a curveball where I was thankful for an ultrasound. Um, and so I agree with you do what feels right to you, see what your provider feels comfortable with. You don't want to be making decisions that your provider is not comfortable with. Cause then you guys are just going to be disunified. So mm-hmm. if you don't want any ultrasounds, you know, that first ultrasound to confirm pregnancy or the anatomy ultrasound, um, you know, definitely make sure that your provider is going to be willing to do that and do the fetoscope. I personally think that which is we are- something that, which is something really good. If you know your stance on that in the beginning to bring to your provider as you're, as you're looking for someone. Yes. To be able to advocate for the birth and the pregnancy that yes. you desire, because you could have it as part of your plan. And then, you know, they're wanting to confirm your pregnancy via transvaginal ultrasound. And you're like, no, no. And that could be a practice rule. I mean, certain providers will fire you from practices. And so, um, yeah, realize kind of what you want from the beginning, do research, Um, I will say as a healthcare provider, you know, I'm kind of traditionally trained, but functionally focused just because I had my own personal health journey and the conventional medicine model failed me. And it's really great for certain things like traumas and things like that. But I personally think we do way too many ultrasounds, way too many interventions, even at birth. (laughs) Um, and you know, I'm not a huge fan of like the traditional ultrasound and I, have a lot of friends that are like, I just want to see baby, or I'm going to pay to go to the little stork imaging. Okay. I don't know if that's the name, but like the 4d imaging just to get cute pictures. And that's where, you know, I know someone that's like fun for them and reassuring for them, um, and cute, but I think that they're not really weighing the cost benefit analysis and long-term ramifications. And there's still research to be done. Um, so where I stand personally, Um, I personally, I will tell you, I didn't really want ultrasounds in my first pregnancy. Um, I had a pregnancy scare around 16 weeks and we thought that I had miscarried and there was blood and I had to go to the emergency room. And I just like, in my mind, I was like, that's exactly what happened. So they were like, would you like us to check on baby to see if there's a heartbeat? And of course, like, I just needed that peace of mind to know either way. 
well, praise God, baby was still great, but my cervix was compromised. Mm -hmm. And so given that, and what that means is that, you know, the cervix shortens throughout pregnancy. And then when you deliver, so you want a really healthy cervix and mine was starting to shorten prematurely. Mm -hmm. So had I not got that ultrasound and did kind of a modified bed rest and monitored it, I could have been at risk for preterm birth and baby would may, maybe not have made it. So, you know, you don't want to make decisions out of fear, but at that moment, I was so grateful for the intervention that one confirmed that my baby was still growing. What a blessing, but two allowed me to know what to do to support baby's health until he got to a healthy place. Now, honestly, it was a miracle because I went over my due date, <laughs> you know? So like, we're not even worried about it. This pregnancy, I'm not doing any cervical monitoring because I didn't have a pre preterm birth, but that's an example where, you know, I prescribe when necessary interventions when necessary. Um, so I personally was a little bit humbled by that experience and really grateful for that technology. Um, you know, if someone chooses not to do an anatomy ultrasound and they want to do genetics, not that the Genetics would deter them from being pregnant or not, but say that they were like, you know, I'd like to know my genetics. And if something came up, then maybe they would choose to do the anatomy ultrasound to make sure that heart and everything's okay. And again, I don't say this out of fear, but if you are doing a home birth or like me, I did a birthing center, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> um, I loved it. But you know, if, if my baby had a heart defect, I probably would want to know so that I could deliver in a place that was going to have the level of care needed, you know? And so that's where my a little bit traditional mind comes in, not out of fear, out of knowledge is power is wisdom, but also like we do way too many interventions and, and I can't even talk about the interventions at birth, but I would say if you're listening and you do want to give a hospital birth, no shame, if that gives you peace of mind and that's what you feel comfortable with, but just do your research on what is needed. You know, will they do delayed cord clamping? Does baby want the eye cream? You know, what, what, what happens at birth that's just traditional hospital protocol and what do you want and what do you care about? Because I've had some friends deliver at hospitals and they didn't even get their placenta when we have rights to that. And so that's where I would say like, no matter where you birth, birthing center, home, hospital, interventions, ultrasounds, just make sure that unifies with you and your family and your birth plan. Um, and your birth plan includes everything up until, you know, baby's born. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And and, and something that you noted on, which I think applies to, I like to remember in all areas of my life, especially on my own healing journey is to be willing to change our opinions when presented with new information. So yeah, maybe we have this idea of how our birth is going to go, but when we learn something new say, okay, well now I'm going to take a different route because this is what's being presented to me. And so that's, you know, to not be dogmatic about the way that we want to do things on either side of the coin and be willing to flow with what's being presented to change our minds at any point and to be adaptable. I mean, if that's not a lesson in parenthood, I don't, I don't know what is and adulthood and businesshood. I mean, I literally, I'm going to quote you on that. So I can't wait to listen again and be like what Carly said. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, as, as we're, we're wrapping up here, I'm realizing that we could probably do an entire other podcast because really today we focused on conception and pregnancy, but then you know, the experience of, of labor and the interventions and, you know, there's, there's so many choices there. And so I've, I've used Mama Naturals um, books and Mama Natural has an online course. I actually did her course. I read her book. I really like her work. So I know we haven't covered everything. This is a huge topic that we're covering, but um, she's great. I don't know if you have anyone else 
that came comes to mind right now in regards to like, okay, now once baby's here and choosing the different interventions, once, once baby's earth side. That's my go-to. Okay. Honestly, I'm subscribed to her weekly updates right now. Yeah. I did it. I got the postpartum update. She's a wonderful resource. She has a book too, like a tangible book. If you're a reader and like to highlight or make it a bedtime thing, but yeah, that's my recommendation as well. Okay. We love you, Genevieve. Thank you for your work. <laughs> Mama natural. Um, okay, Taylor. Well, thank you so much. This is just, this is amazing. I'm so super grateful for you. Where can listeners connect with you further, find you online, schedule some time together? What, what's, where can we find you? Yeah. So my website is just www.taylordukeswellness.com. Um, and then I'm Taylor Dukes Wellness on Instagram. And I love sharing, you know, anything healthy about preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, but I also share a lot about, you know, other things in my life and healthy living and detox and all the things. And you happen to have a wellness center in Fort Worth. So if anyone's around that area, restore and revive in Fort Worth. Please come say hi. All right. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thanks, Carly. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. To keep the conversation going, come say hello over on Instagram at, at Carly Loves Kale or visit CarlyBrownWellness.com. Several times a year, I offer a program called The Daily Detox, which integrates and teaches many of the practices that you are learning in these podcast episodes. To learn more about that program, you can visit my website, CarlyBrownWellness.com, and I'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.